online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound. This is Mimi Harker and you're listening to Mimi Meets. And as with every week, I like to bring you really special guests and somebody who has impacted my life, somebody who I have been influenced by, somebody who I've been deeply impressed by, somebody who I've just got on so well with that I just want to share them with you because they're just so brilliant. And this week, my very, very, very special guest is Superintendent Yvette Hitch, who is the local police commander for Milton Keynes, but she was formerly ours, and I've known her for such a long time, and it will become apparent in a while, while we are sitting here chatting today. So, Yvette, a very warm welcome to Wickham Sound. Thanks, Mimi. <laughs> what an introduction. <laughs> well, you are. You're amazing. You have done some fabulous work, and I think that's one of, the, one of the best things I can think about with you. I've got such a good relationship with you, and I've always had that through all our, the time that we work together because you are very approachable. You're very human. You're very down-to-earth, and they're all qualities that I think are really great for, you know, in order to make those connections with people because I don't know if you agree with me, but making those connections in your line of work is quite important (laughs) it's probably the most important thing realistically because we are the police yes and we have a certain image and my aim sometimes is to break down those images of us there's times and places when we need to be strict firm etc but people do need to see that we're human too Absolutely, because I think the myth is that you're sort of in that world of your own and that you're there just to come down on the heads of people when they've been naughty. Um, but that's not the case, is it? It's, it's much wider than that. I hope it's much wider than that. And that's part of what I hopefully we'll get across today is what the police do and what we can do and what we want to do for our communities. And, I mean, give us a couple of examples of some of the things that you currently do. I mean, with your role as area commander, what does that entail? So for me, what an area commander is, and in Thames Valley there's 12 of us, we're, we're, we've got geographic responsibility for policing. So we have a set number of staff each, and we're then responsible for policing that geographic area and keeping people safe. That's our primary aim, keeping people safe, working with other partners like the council, social care, um, businesses, all those kind of people, to make sure that we have a safe environment to live also, it's about saving lives, and one of our primary things is crime prevention and then crime investigation. So we kind of do that whole gambit mm-hmm. um, across a geographic area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite wide, your remit, and it's getting wider, isn't it? Yeah, it, it always has been wide, and again, I don't think people always have understood. I think they probably think of us as the crime investigators, and we're the people that you come to if you need help. Right. But that help takes all kinds of forms, and one of the key bits we're there to do is build communities because community resilience is really, really important. And I hate to mention the word austerity. Yes. But everyone's had budget cuts and there's less of us. And then what we need to do is build strong communities because stronger a community is, more resilient a community is, then the less work there is for the police to do. I mean, you touched on um, a point there that an awful lot of people do talk about frequently, and it's the best football, I think, um, amongst politicians, and that's budget cuts. Because the impression that people seem to have is that there have been so many budget cuts that the police simply can't do their job anymore because they just haven't got the personnel, the time, infrastructure, the facilities, everything that you need to do your job properly isn't there anymore because of budget cuts and everybody's always promising to come in and put more money into the police. (laughs) More money would be lovely. Right, I have to be really careful about this because obviously it's political and I'm not political. So budget cuts have clearly affected policing as it's affected so many of the services. We have enough to do our basic role 
what we've got rid of is some of the add-on extras and they're the really key bits uh, and in Thames Valley we're really fortunate we've kept neighbourhood policing which is mm -hmm. absolutely vital it may be different it may not be as big as it was before but we've still got it so what we've had to do is adapt cut make efficiencies so we can still deliver what the public expect but it might be a sort of silver service rather than a gold standard service mm -hmm. but we're still there doing it we won't meet all of the public expectation so yeah it's tight but we still get by and of course there's this massive perception isn't there that of crime and of you know all the horrible things that happen but actually for the area that we live in it's really not that bad is it compared to the country it's, it's really interesting because from my perspective i know that the thames valley region and particularly buckinghamshire is actually a low crime level but if you're a victim of crime, it doesn't feel yes, like that. Yes. And I recognise that. And actually, we're a really safe place to live and work and have businesses. So it is safe. But if you've been the victim of a burglary or a robbery or whatever it may of be, course. you're not going to feel like that. And again, 24-hour media, there's a lot of stuff gets put out there. And the media don't sell simple stories. They, they have to, to get their sales and their publicity. They... Um, they, they put a spin on it. Yes. And so stories that may be quite low level actually sound much worse than they are. Yeah. And actually we, we build that fear of crime. And part of my role is to reduce the fear of crime. Indeed. And it's actually so interesting that you say that because with our interview with the Bucks Free Press recently, um, I was talking to Andrew Colley, who is yeah. the overall group's editor, group yeah. editor. Um, and we were saying to him as our little work group, that actually the thing that worries us the most is there's always that scary headline on the front page and what we'd like to see is a better balance. Um, you know, So you get a good news story as well as the bad news story because that would help to reduce that fear because we talk about you know, an elderly lady sitting at home, her only connection with the world might be the Bucksbury Press coming through her door. It, of course, other newspapers are available, um, but we're talking local. And, um, you know, and she might see those headlines on there. And she might think, goodness me, what's going on here? But, I mean, Andrew took that on board completely. And he said, I see what you say and, you know, we'll, we'll look at that. Because it's true, when you look at those headlines, it can actually raise the fear more than it needs to. It absolutely does. And, and then that's really important because how often do you see in a newspaper a good news story about the police? Mm. Um, we try through social media channels to yes. put those positive and good connection stories out. But it, they don't sell newspapers and they don't sell stories they don't sell stories it's and as simple as that that's the reality of it indeed well it's the same with young people isn't it you always re read about or hear about or you know are told about the issues with young people and how they are so terrible well having two young people myself i can absolutely vouch for the fact that they are not <laughs> no, and we we misrepresent a generation by absolutely describing them as hoodies and people with no interest yeah they're, they're growing up yeah and there's a lot of really caring people out there who want to do a lot for the community. I mean, I work a lot with young people. For me, I'm always amazed at how much energy they have to put into local community stuff. And they do, and they're so willing to volunteer. Uh, yeah. Silver Sunday, I couldn't do it without young people. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So that's what the big event I organise in October. And that's absolutely filled with young people helping out on the day who've come in, not just to do the nice jobs, but to do all the setting up and get the rubbish bins out and clear the tables and, you know, make sure that everything's... Do you know what I mean? They're not sitting there saying, mm, I, don't, I don't want to do that one because that's, you know, too beneath me. They just get stuck in. Yeah. And again, we if we underestimate the power that young people have and what they want to do then we we really do misrepresent them mm -hmm. they're a great bunch indeed now who can join the police mostly anyone so uh you have to have some educational qualifications particularly maths and english 
in Thames Valley at the moment you have to have A-levels, um, but we are looking at different entry routes. And what's really exciting about policing is from January within the Thames Valley region, um, you can join the police and you'll be able to get a degree qualification. Oh, right. So you'll be able to come in. It's a three-year training programme mm -hmm. and at the end of it, you'll end up with a degree. Amazing. Now, I have to ask the question, is there a height restriction? <laughs> no, that went a long, long time ago. So Mimi, you could now join. <laughs> that was what I was kind of getting at because when I was younger, when I was very young, it was one of the options I looked at was joining the police force. Um, because I have it in me that's what I like to do is keep order you know be in communities help wherever I can blah blah and it just seemed a very natural fit for me but then of course it was my height that let me down <laughs> and we've got some incredibly tall officers and we've got some really small officers yeah. and actually it's not about your height it's about how you connect with people indeed and there's times and places when you need strong people but just because you're small doesn't necessarily mean say you're not strong indeed indeed I had the same problem by the way when I tried to um, apply to be cabin crew for, 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 for one of the famous world famous airlines because that was another job I quite fancied when I was young they've obviously underestimated you <laughs> well my height was very um, very much an underestimation of everything I always say that if my mother had put me through a proper nutritional diet when I was young and sent me out to dance school like I did with my daughter I'd be like her saw so these things that well, what, what, what do we call these things um, love handles that sit here on your back well me I've got them I'm just thinking if I actually did eat properly and I had done some exercise and gone to dance school I would have grown into it it's just the skin I never grew into that's it yeah you're just under tall <laughs> I'm under tall exactly <laughs> that's my excuse anyway <laughs> looking at um, some of the um, issues that um, affect people quite a lot there's a huge perception out there at the moment that we are completely overrun by young people who are carrying knives guns who are involved in gangs who are perpetrating horrible crimes and involving even younger people to get involved. And that's sort of like quite quite big headline news at the moment, especially because some of the soap operas are carrying storylines to that effect. I mean, how, how does that really, really figure? It's a really difficult question, that one, to answer, and I'll try and do it. And again, it comes back to that media thing, which is there's so much in the media which has painted this generation of a group of people that go around with knives and harm each other. And undoubtedly there has been a rise in what we would call knife-enabled crime. Um, and there is, and I call it a fashion, and mm -hmm. people might disagree with what I say here. A few years ago we had youngsters used to go and steal car badges, the VW car badges. Yes, and I remember that. The yes, I now we're showing our age if we remember that. And that was a fashion. Um, and now it's fashionable, sadly, to carry weapons. And people carry them because they think it protects them and keeps them safe. Um, and it doesn't, what it actually does is, is expose them to more risk. Right. Because someone will pull a knife out and they think it's going to protect them. Mm -hmm. And actually it makes them more susceptible to an attack because that knife will be taken off and harming them. And people don't understand the risk of having a knife. A knife can kill. They yes. are lethal weapons and people don't see that. All they see is the kudos of having a knife or they see it as a protection and it's not. So clearly there is a problem. I think the mass media and how it's fueled just adds to it. And we've got, again, it goes back to that fear of crime. So we've now got young people who are afraid of what's going on outside and carry weapons to protect themselves. So I think we really need to take it back, yes. address it. Yes. And from a policing perspective and with our partners, we're doing a lot of work in schools mm -hmm. and we're bringing people who have been in, involved in gangs uh, to explain how they got into it, what happened to them, and then 
what they've learned from it. So we're, we're trying to redress that balance. But some of it comes down to inequality, social mm-hmm. injustice, deprivation, sure. Sure. and all those kind of issues that go across. A lot of it, from my perspective, goes back to austerity. Mm-hmm. We've lost our youth provision. And quite often there's nowhere for teenagers to go. So if you've got nowhere to go, you go and hang around the local shop where there's light outside. Yes. You're a teenager. We've all been there. Yes. I remember getting moved on by the police for sitting inside a bus shelter, laughing and joking with my friends. Yes. It's always been there, but society's changed and it's moved on. And that's some of the issue. So clearly we have issues, but I don't think it's ever as bad as people portray. And there's things we can do to combat it. It's education, training, getting people to understand it and providing something for the youth to do. And I think that's really important. Do you know, I think you've just hit the nail on the head there because when they, it's when they've got nothing to do and they're just hanging around that things can escalate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly something that I've noticed in the work that I do. Um, and I, and I, I do see a growing... Um, sort of like a momentum, if you like, growing around this whole issue, because I think, and the more we publicise it, uh, you know, as far as the media is concerned, it's, and storylines and that sort of thing, does it almost glamorise it? Do you know? I think that that's it's a terrible word because a parent of of a, a you know parent of a murdered child isn't ever going to see it that way. Yeah. But it does. It, there's a certain you know, I'm cool because I carry yes. a knife. Well, you're not cool. You're actually quite stupid. Yes, um, and you're actually creating a massive danger to, to society yourself. and yourself. And yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. the big issue. And I think what the storylines we're better focused on is what's not there. So the lack of youth facilities mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. And just to give an example, so up in Milton Keynes, we've got the old bus station. And I know this is Milton Keynes-centric, but it, it just highlights it. And what they've done there, they've set up a music studio, which yes. has got a load of sponsors. And it's brilliant. Yes. So it's got a load of people that were out in the streets really interested in music, but were getting into that kind of gang culture but they've got nowhere to go and they've brought them in, they've given them a facility and they're actually giving them skills, which hopefully for some of them will be able to turn into vocational careers. Absolutely. So they're not on the streets anymore. They're doing something they love, which is music. They're learning a skill and that turned them around. And it was just wonderful to see. I went to the opening of it the other day and it was just lovely to hear from some people who'd been written off. They yes. were the bad lads. Yes. And now they're working really hard um, articulate and really learn a skill and mm-hmm. that's what we need to do absolutely and in children we use sport yes. to do something about yeah. um you know young people sort of you know and giving them something to do and keeping them occupied and the project you mentioned was a was an excellent one getting music involved to get young people into that because that's what they love you it know? is absolutely yeah it is that's one of, and as you said the sport yes and it's about having that a range of things because we can't just box children into music or sport there's yep. a whole load of things that they need to do absolutely but for me it's not just young people and one of the things that one of my primary roles is about building community resilience um we live lead much busier lives now and some of the community that we had is, is has broken down and that's just because society has changed so people move away from home they need to wear, move to where employment is and we've got different generations. Now, the generations have always been different. Yep. And we've always had divides between them. But I think with the kind of 21st century life, the fact that most of us live our lives through a computer. I was going to say, we sit there, don't we, with either mobile phones or tablets or whatever. And we're all guilty of it. Um, only last week, my son moved out. Oh, dear. It was horrible. He'll and come back. It's still horrible. And I haven't heard from him in three days after the week that he's been missing because I've been texting him and he's probably thinking, for goodness sake, mother, just leave me alone. 
He probably <laughs> this is. This is why I left home, <laughs> to get away from this. But we were sitting having a meal after we just, you know, sort of moved him in, et cetera, et cetera. We thought we'd grab something to eat. And all three of us were sitting there catching up on our phones. And I suddenly went, stop it, everybody. This is ridiculous. And we've never been more connected, but as a society, we've never been less connected. Correct. And, I, that's, and that's it. And it's things like, how often do you sit in bed and just sit and play on your phone? Yes. So, all yeah, the time. All the time. And how frustrating does your husband get with it? Ah, uh, no, that's, the, that's the best thing because, no, 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 that's the best thing because he, as soon as he gets into bed and his head touches the pillow, unlike me, who's Mrs. Insomniac, he just goes straight off to sleep. So he's very lucky like that. So I have the TV and I have my um, iPad and I have a phone. Um, but I, I, I sleep through three hours if I'm lucky. So for me, I have to have those things to do yeah. that aren't going to disturb people. <laughs> well, Mimi, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but I do know that all the advice says don't have those things in your bedroom. They do. And you know, <laughs> I've tried it all, though, Yvette. I've tried it all. I've, I've literally had the TV taken out of the room, and that just makes me anxious. Yeah. I just get anxious because then I know I've got nothing to do. Yeah. So that increases that whole thing. <laughs> so to me, I just sort of say, do you know what? Whatever it will be, will be. However much sleep I get, I'll get it, and I will just carry on with a smile on my face and hope I get through the day. Okay. And, and you always, we'll let you always seem to. You always seem to. Yeah, you do manage. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? But we are addicted to we them. We are. So we talk about other addictions, but we're all addicted to technology. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, that in some ways it's great because we can get pleas out and we can get things done over over the kind of the the power of the internet. Mm-hmm. But we've we've lost each other within that. And I often say to people. How many of you know your neighbours? Yes. I, I know we've had this conversation before. Yes. Um, and where I used to live, I knew my immediate neighbours. I would wave to some people in the street. Did I ever speak to them? No, because when did we wave? As we went off to work or as we came home? Yes. Uh, and that's really quite sad. Um, I've recently moved house to a little new um, new area. Yep. And as a group of neighbours, we all know each other. We all look out for each other and we're going to have a little street party. That's so nice. Because we've all realised there's a real need to connect with each other. Yes. And to make that community. And for me, that's one of the things within policing. We need to build those communities and get people to be engaged with each other and talk to each other and look out for each other. Absolutely. And particularly we've got an ageing population. And I know you're a big supporter of Silver Sunday. Absolutely. Um, But we've got a generation of people that are now isolated because as soon as they can't drive and there's this public transport, they're stuck. Absolutely. Um, and just going to have those conversations or taking them to the shops, doing a bit of shopping or popping in and having a cup of tea. It means the world to them. Absolutely. It's so good for their mental health and it's so good for our well-being. And I just think we talk about mindfulness now and all of these kind of things. But sitting down and having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a glass it's of water that or whatever contact. thing is, it's contact. Yes, it's that human contact. And we contact. all crave it. Yes, and we, we all do. Need it. And if we don't have it, it's, it is like taking the sun away from a, you know, from a plant. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, that's the best analogy I can use because I know how I feel if I've been, you know, away from society for a weekend. I just feel quite dull and quite. Well, some people don't see somebody from one weekend to another, and that's really, really sad. Absolutely. And actually, the older generation have got such a lot to give us. They, they've. They're a much more resilient generation and all the, the D-Day stuff that's been on in the last few I days. Know, it's amazing. You look at that and you look what they went through and how they're so stoic about it. We can learn a lot from them um, and they can help us get through this modern life and I just think we're, we're missing a trick. And I think if we build those communities, then we make everything better. There's less 
reliance then on the state mm -hmm. to provide things. Mm -hmm. If we have a strong community that looks after each other, you cut down social isolation, you cut down visits to the doctor, which means people get to the doctor. People just feel better. And from a policing perspective, which is ultimately what I'm interested Absolutely. in, we get less demands on us. And actually, we can then focus on the stuff that really matters rather than going to some of those calls when actually they're a social issue, not a police issue. You must get quite a few of those, actually. We get all kinds of things. Yeah. And quite often, a lot of our calls are, we would call it shunt demand. Um, it's not a policing matter. It's a social issue. But because of austerity and because of other services, um, we end up going to it. So give an example. 43% of what the police go to in Thames Valley has a link to mental health. Right. And quite often it's a person in crisis that needs help and support and they're not getting it because there's not the service provision. So that person's in crisis, they come to us and we have to fill that gap. Now that sounds like I'm criticising the mental health service. It's not. We work really closely with them. We're, we're, you know, we work together. We have street triage cars that go out and try and fill those gaps. But there's a demand that can't be met and it's because there's not been enough investment in mental health services. Indeed. If you had a broken leg, you get treated. Yeah. If you've got bits of your brain that are yes. broken, it takes a long time to get there. And people are terrified of talking about it. Yes. So yeah. one of the things that I love doing on, on this show is actually talking about exactly those issues because the more we talk about it, the more it becomes less taboo. Um, and less, you know, less um, of a stigma because I think people feel there's a stigma. I know when I was young, I remember my mother saying to me because I was going through a particularly bad patch and she said, oh, you mustn't go to the doctors to get any um, antidepressants or anything like that because if you do, it'll stay on your record forever and you'll never get a proper job. And, you know, you, and that's in my mind. And it shouldn't be a stigma. And I, I think it's, it is breaking down. And again, I'm a big believer that there's things we can do. There will always be people that need medication to treat it. But if we can make a more caring society, we can really reduce people's dependence on medication. Yes. We can do things yes. as a community. Um, that's, I know that sounds quite simplistic, but I genuinely do believe it. Um, and that's it, what part of my role is, is to kind of build those communities absolutely. so that we have healthier society. And it goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning of this segment. It's about connectivity. We are so much more connected, but we're also so disconnected as well because yes. of the isolation that being connected via a device gives you. But that leads me on to ask another question, really, which is how much do the police use social media these days to get your message out there? We use it. Would I say we're really good at it? And the answer is no. And I'm going to give you my own experience. I I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not very talented at social media, but you know what's really, really interesting is if I put a tweet on about police work, I don't get much interest in it. If I put a picture of my dog, yeah. <laughs> it goes viral. Yes. <laughs> and that sounds absolutely crazy. And now I put random things on. So, and again, bring back that human stuff. I'll put, I've got quirky wallpaper. I put that on and I get loads of comments about it. I can talk about a crime prevention issue or something and people are interested. So what I need to get better at is weaving my quirky wallpaper into, into a message. message. And I think that's what we've got to do. And we've got some really great people that can kind of do that. Um, but then there's those of us that are still learning and yeah. we've got to get there. Um, we've just gone to Facebook. Yes. And again, it's really interesting from a police perspective. We always worry about the negative things that happen because sometimes what we say can be misconstrued. Indeed. Somebody might go on and put a comment and we get it wrong sometimes. So we have to really, we've had to really learn the art. We've had to engage with technology. And sometimes in the police, we're a bit slow at picking up on it and we're getting better. 
but there's more we can do. And it's again breaking down those barriers. Yes. Some people expect the police to be very formal. Yes, yes, that's true. Social but you're, not, you're actually quite good fun. Informal. Yeah, you're and, fun. And balancing that out. Absolutely. One of the things that I do when I see it, I mean, I get, uh, I'm, I'm an avid um, fan of social media. Um, I can, if I didn't have to do anything else, I could probably sit on social media and fill my time all day. <laughs> if I see something from the police that says missing person or something like that, I will always share it. Yes. Always. Yeah. And regardless that's a of where really I am. positive you know as you know we've got quite a few mis- long-term missing people yes. that are really quite concerning that's a really good way of getting out and putting that message across mm-hmm. so it's brilliant in that way yes um and like I say everyone loves a police dog everyone loves a police horse and it's just about learning to tailor those messages absolutely right so looking at some of the other things that you do I mean you mentioned that whole capacity for the community and to give them resilience and to build them up and be strong one of the things I'm very passionate about, because isolation goes across all generations these days, and it's younger people as well. Yes. So one of the things I'm absolutely passionate about is early intervention. And I don't know what that means to you, but I know what it means to me. Okay, so early intervention. And um, I, I'm passionate about that as well. And again, we need to get, get hold of it and, and deal with it better. So early intervention for me, the police and quite a lot of the other um, state services, if I call them that, it's a terrible phrase, but like our local authorities, we're really good at crisis management. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we wait till people are in a crisis and then we can fix it. Yes. Or we fix the crisis. That's what we're really good at, particularly the police. But what early intervention is, it's about identifying those families that have the potential to move towards crisis and intervening earlier to, to sort things out. So... Um, it is, it's recognising, you know, family can go into crisis if someone's got mental health issues or if there's a drug issue or an alcohol issue or deprivation issue, all of those, housing issues, that's a really key one. Mm. If we can pick up those families and we all work with them and, and agencies find that we're all going to the same groups of people and clearly from um, social care there's different levels of intervention and what we need to do is get back to the starting stages and work on it. So when I worked in Buckinghamshire before... Um, we had to think called the early help panel. Right. And we had it, um, evidence-based policing is what we do now, looking at trying to have an evidence base for what we do. And we had that evaluated by the University of Oxford. And they said, what you're doing is brilliant. This is a multi-agency project. They said, you're brilliant, but you're seven years too late. Mm. So if we're seven years too late, we're helping them, but we could have helped them seven years before. Yes. And if turn it on its head, if we get in early, we stop the crisis happening, yep. and therefore we can move resources back to prevent it from moving on in the first place. So that's what we've got to get yes. better at, is common identifying. Sense. I mean, it is common sense, though, isn't it? It is, but we've all been built around crisis management. Absolutely. And it's changing it. And I don't think most services are like that. You deal with the problem once it's happened, rather than looking at the cause yes. and how it may arise out of those causes put together. Absolutely. And then dealing with those first of all, where yes. we could probably avoid it altogether. Yes. I mean, and we know, and there's academic research to, to back it up, that an adverse childhood experience, if something happens to you in your younger life or trauma, then that is likely to impact on your life in the future. And I think we all know that. Yes. But we've forgotten it. Yes. And we've just gone into crisis and then we need to move away from it. Indeed. So that's what early intervention is. I think they are absolutely spot on with that. You know, we've talked so much about things like budgeting and the myths and the facts around that. We've talked about resilience in the community. We've talked about literally dealing with some of those issues that are high profile headlines around the country when it comes to certain aspects of crime and what goes on in our communities. But the thing I think I'd love to know from you is... 
Why did you decide to join the police force? Okay, you're not allowed to laugh, and some of your viewers or listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about when I say this. So what made me join the police service? So I joined the police service because of Zed Cars, Juliet Bravo, and The Gentle Touch. That shows my age, doesn't it? So Zed Cars, I grew up with it, and I just liked it. I liked the blue lights. I liked the kind of sense of team. And then Juliet Bravo, which was a, a series about a police inspector female yep. in, in um, Inspirational. And I looked at that and thought, I can do that. And then the gentle touch, I like Jill Gascoigne's perm, which is really <laughs> quite sad. And she was a DI in, in the Met. So those are the things that made me join the police. Which, yeah. And actually, I wanted to make a difference to people's lives. And I thought that would be it. And then, yep, yeah, so 1987, I actually joined the police in Staffordshire, which is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And... It was nothing like I expected. Okay. So it wasn't like Zed Cars, it wasn't like Juliet Bravo, and it certainly wasn't like The Gentle Touch. <laughs> but I did get the perm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which I can't imagine now looking at you. No, it was not a good look. <laughs> I did. Um, I got a perm once as well. I was 17. I blame that actually on being the beginning of the end of my proper hair because I used to have really decent hair, yeah. which I don't anymore. <laughs> and it was the Dulcia perm, which was all, all the rage, rage yeah. at the time. Um, it changed my nationality is all I'm going to say. My mother didn't recognise me. She walked past me on Kingston Bridge and I went, hello, mum. And she looked at me and then she just gave me a look as if to say, who are you who are talking you? to me? Yeah. I don't know you. And then she walked off. You know? so do you remember in the 80s, it was the nice spiral curls? Yes, yes. So that's the look I was going for. I had long hair then and I was yes. going to have this lovely, bouncy curls. My hair had been naturally curly. It took a bit too tight and I ended up with this really short, tight, <laughs> very unflattering hair <laughs> I kept my police hat on for days when I went in after having it done and my inspector's like why have you got your hat on in the parade room I was like you don't need to know and then they found out why <laughs> I had my beret fetish after my hair was perked <laughs> the things we do in fashion Indeed. I had about 20 different colours of berets to, so I could have them on all the time and of course it was fine to wear those indoors because it was a fashion statement as opposed to a utility it, thing yeah <laughs> So yes, so once you were in, what were the main differences that you found? Well, it was, so I, so I joined in, in the mid-1980s, so it was a very strange time for policing anyway. Um, and what, what I learned was there wasn't many women, um, there was the sense of team and, and comradeship that I had expected. We had a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, and I developed a very strange sense of humour. The police, we deal with a lot of death. Yeah. And you have to learn how to cope with that. Yeah. And you learn how to manage that. Yeah. And certain incidents, you could tell when a particular instance, particularly incidents involving children, mm. really affected the mood of the whole station. Mm. But you looked after each other and you supported each other. So you get that really close bond. And the police is like a family. And, and we look after each other. And that's really, really important. So you share the highs, you share the lows. Um, and your crewmate becomes your best buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really difficult to explain to people outside policing what you do. So you're, that's why it's so close, yeah. because you deal with some really odd stuff. And some quite intense stuff as well, which of course is going to create a bond because you're dealing with it together. Yes. Indeed. Yes. So did you have a nickname? <clears throat> well, not entirely. There was, a, there was an accidental nickname. So I'm Yvette. And where I worked, we had a canteen. You used to go and order breakfast. You don't have such things now. And we're all sitting down on early, 7 o'clock in the morning, waiting for our breakfasts. And suddenly someone starts shouting, you tree, you tree. And we're all looking round, <laughs> thinking. And then we realised she'd read my name wrong and thought, 
my name was Utree. So that <laughs> stuck for a while. So, but yeah, not so not a great nickname, but an accidental an one. Because accident, that's quite a common thing, isn't it, to have a nickname? Yes. So yes. if your name's, you know, Crisp, you'll get called Crispy or, yeah. you know, whatever. And it's the same in any, any industry, any group. It happens, doesn't yeah, it? And policing's yeah. no different. Yeah, no, that's fun. I so, think it's fun. Yeah, but I was at that point. I was the token female, and they looked after me, and I was like their kid sister, yes. and that's how I was treated. Yeah. And it was lovely. We that's really nice. Fun. Yeah, that's really really and some nice. Really strong friendships. It's still there. We don't see each other very often, but they're still really good, strong friendships. Which is lovely. So it is, as you say, like a great big family. Yes. Yeah, which yeah. is nice. Because that's one of the things we're missing in society these days. I think that's why it's so important to join organisations yes. as well. and be connected back indeed, to connection. Indeed, absolutely. Everything comes back to connections, doesn't yes. it? So you progressed through the ranks. Yeah. And um, you've ended up here with us. Yes. Um, in our lovely area. But having said that, you're about to retire soon. Yeah, I am. So within policing... You don't look old enough to retire, if you don't mind me saying so. <laughs> Thank you. I'll just do that for the flattery, because everyone has to say that to me, or else I get grumpy. So within policing, and it's changed now, it has changed. So within policing, it's traditionally been that you do 30 years, and right. then you retire. And that's a recognition. And I, I know there's lots of other industries, businesses, where people work really hard. Um, but we do a lot of shift work. Yeah. We also do on-call. So I've done 17 years of being phoned in the middle of the night yes and all of that takes a bit of a toll on your body so traditionally the police have retired relatively early most go on do second careers um so i'll have done my 30 years in july and i am going to take my retirement because from a from a policing perspective i've done my bit yes and there's other people that can come through who are much brighter much sharper and have got far better ideas than me but I want to go and put something else into the community in a different way now. But what about all your experience? What about all the knowledge and everything you've gathered over over the years? Well, hopefully I can go and use that in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I do understand how communities work. Mm-hmm. I've got good networks that I can tap into. Yes. So I want to go and do something within the voluntary sector Perfect. that helps communities. Yeah. Uh, and I can go and do some of my passions without the constraints of being a police officer. So what are your passions? So things I really care about. I care about the elderly, I care about social isolation, I care about people with mental health issues. Um, So what I want to go and do is work in the voluntary sector in in Mm -hmm. those areas, Mm -hmm. whether it be as simple as befriending elderly people, transporting them, those kind of things. I think that's really, really important, building up those communities. Mm -hmm. From the mental health part, I'd love to do some mentoring um, and the schemes, this Prince's Trust I'm really interested in. They ask and are actively seeking mentors. So I have got some life skills that hopefully I can pass on to other people. And I want to bridge those gaps between the generations. Well, we're going to miss you. Oh, thank you. And I'm going, to miss, I'm going to miss doing what I do, because I do love it. Mm. Um, but like I say, it's, it's time for the next generation to come through. Well, I think that's a very laudable thing to say. I really do. But I do think we will miss you enormously. And because you, as I said right at the beginning of this, you bring such a human, down-to-earth touch to this. You know, anyone can come and talk to you about anything um, and you will not judge them. And you've never been judgmental. You've never ever sort of or dismissed something, said, no, that's not something I want to talk about or that's got nothing to do with me. I've never, ever heard you, you know, use any of those words, even if it's something that's not in your remit. One of the things you've always done is say, it's not something we normally deal with, but I will find you someone who can help you with that. And that's that isn't that the role of a police officer? We're meant to be a key part of the community. And whatever your rank is, we can all help. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, the police have been seen there to help the public and people. 
So if, I, if they were to come to me and it's nothing to do with me, and I said, well, it's nothing to me, do with me, I'm putting up a barrier. Mm-hmm. It may not be my responsibility, but I can find someone who it is and I can do a bit of signposting, a bit of supporting. Mm-hmm. And that not that what policing should be about? Absolutely. And very, very briefly, because of your experience and because you can see the way things have changed, what do you think the trend is going to be for policing in the future? Well, I think finally, and again, try not to be political, I think, as you know, we talked about austerity, we talked about budget cuts. I think people, and I think the people have recognised it in the communities, and now politicians are beginning to recognise it, is you can't cut policing without there being consequences. And I think it's beginning to change. So I think the next few years are going to be really key for policing. Um, Who knows where we're going to go with politics and governments and don't want to go into that field. Goodness me, what a mess we're in. Yeah, it's like I've never seen before, but yes. Um, And I think that because of that, I think that can only be good for policing and in turn then that will be good for the community. So Mm -hmm. I would like to say in the next few years there might be a bit of positivity coming back to policing. And do you think the attitude towards police officers in general has changed? Because I know when I was being brought up, I just had the most utmost respect for a police officer, a teacher, a doctor... You know, somebody in that position in society, and literally you were very, very, very deeply respectful of them. When you see some of the programmes, when you see some of the the way it's all dramatised and some of the incidents and you hear some of the conversation, it's almost as if there's not quite that respect anymore. Would you say that was...? Well, generally there is, Mm. but again, as society changes, as does um, people's views of different authorities, and I'm going to use authority sounds a terrible word, so at one point you would do what anyone told you. Yes. It wasn't that you respected them, it's just you were told that they were authority and you did yes. as they said. I think it's quite right and proper that people can challenge because sometimes policing has got it wrong, as have other professions. Indeed. And good that we're, it's good that we're challenged and it's how it should be. Um, and what we need to do is keep building those relationships so people do see the human side and do understand that we're, we don't always get it right that were fallible. Yep. Um, so it, it's changed. Not necessarily a bad thing. On more occasions, human. It's more human. On occasions, we do get a bit of a rough ride, but I understand why. OK. OK, so you're looking forward to retirement? Yes and no. See, I'm going to say, oh, it says, I am, and I'm look, really looking forward to what I've got planned, and I'm looking forward to spending time with my husband and my, my family and friends, Yes. which quite often gets messed around Absolutely. by policing. But I'm going to miss it. I'm a bit institutionalised. I've done this for 30-odd years. <laughs> and it's really hard to let go. Um, and my the person who's taken over my front role is brilliant. He's really talented. But it's my baby. Yes. And they're my team. Yes, I get and, that. And it's, it's one of those strange things. So it's going to be great to hand over the baton and get the freedom. But at the same time, I miss it. Mm. I'm going to miss it. I know I am. Yes. But hopefully with what I've got planned yes. and that link to the community, I can still I can still make a difference, which is what I want to do. And you'll have to become a local councillor. Well, your maybe. views, your your experience, all this knowledge you've gained will be absolutely invaluable. And I want to do it in a non-political way, and that's the really key bit. I yes. Think, for me, politics in whatever form it takes can be really divisive. And actually, it, it, 
it takes away from what we need to achieve for communities. So yeah, you never know, I might do that. I might <laughs> pop up on a parish council. Absolutely. But as, as a non-political part yes, of it, which yes. I think would be really, really important. And of course, even if it wasn't a parish council, there are residence groups yes. that you can join, which are definitely non-political, yes. etc. Yes. There's so much you can do. Yes. Goodness me, I know I'm going to recruit you to a couple of my projects, including the Passion <laughs> Project. Okay. So Silver Sunday is one of them. The Passion Project is yeah. another. And the Passion Project deals with early intervention and it deals with something else you were talking about earlier mindfulness it talks about behavioral change yes. it talks about self-respect and respecting others yes it's, an, it's to me that's the crucial element in society that we need to replace absolutely. and replenish yeah. yeah i think we need to get away from materialism yes and consumerism absolutely and just kind of enjoy our lives a bit more and who we are who we are appreciate yeah. ourselves yeah. and who we are and appreciate yeah. people around us and we're not all going to be perfect and absolutely and we're not all going to be supermodels and we're not absolutely. all going to be millionaires, absolutely. but we can still put stuff into society, and I think that's really important. I think you're absolutely spot on there. <laughs> Would you believe we've come to the end of our hour? Yeah. It's gone it's by, so it? quickly. I could talk to you about so much more to talk about. So you're looking forward to a new life yes. with different goals, different aims, but using all the skills you've gathered yes. over the, your, your years in the police yes. force. And it sounds like it's been a wonderful experience for you. It's been great. It's had its highs and lows. It's never gone smoothly. I'm really fortunate to have got to the rank of superintendent and have the responsibility that I've got. Life is never simple. It and there's never been is. days when I've gone home, laid on the sofa and cried with frustration. There's been days when I've laughed. And there's been some of the most memorable things that have happened to me in my life have happened through policing. I've One of the, the best things? Best things? It's when you solve something for a family, particularly when something horrible has happened to them and you give them closure or a result, or you do something. Brilliant, that's brilliant. I've had experience I've never had before. I ended up going to Buckingham Palace to a Queen's Garden party. Lovely. And as you know, that's just the most delightful it is thing lovely. to do. It is so lovely. That, so I've had experiences that I would never have had, So, and that's what policing's brought to me. It's brought me dear friends. It's taught me about love, loss, and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So. There's, there's not really a bad bit about it, really. Indeed. Well, I hope we stay in touch for many, I'm many sure more years to come. Because I'm sure we will. I, have, I, I love your company. I love your friendship. I think you've been an absolute gem when it comes to the police force and how you've worked Thank within you. our area. And we will really, really miss you. Oh, I'll miss you a lot too. You know, so I'm just <laughs> going to say I hope you have a really happy retirement. Well, I'm not sure if that's quite the right word, but yeah. retirement from one thing. Right, but moving on to the next. Moving on to new pastures yes. and new vistas and new everything else opening up for you, which yeah. I think is going to be amazing. It will be fun. And whoever you work with, they're going to be very, very lucky to have you. So, you know, <laughs> the enjoy The bossy that. one. <laughs> that's the other thing I again, being bossy. It's not bossy. It's called being assertive and being a leader. Okay. Mm. I'll practice that one. Mm, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Thank you so much thank for taking you, the time out of your thank busy you. schedule to come in and talk to us it's here. No problem. And thank you out there for listening. It's been great to have your company this week. It's great to be back in full swing again. I have missed you all, I have to say, during that horrible time of purder. Uh, it's lovely to be back. So thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Mimi Harker. This is Mimi Meets. My special guest was Superintendent Yvette Hitch. And you've been listening on Wickham Sound. You've been listening to a podcast from Wickham Sound. To find out more, head to wickhamsound.org.uk.